we pick our players to be our champions and whoever team loses, like we get killed. Welcome to Clock or Counter. I'm James Wiseman and with me is Ryan Young. So Ryan, what's on our agenda today? All right, so today we're going to do a short Hall of Fame retrospective. Then we're going to rank the top 10 number one players of the last few years. And then we're going to have a debate, our first debate. And what's our debate going to be about? It's going to be about both spins, any angle. And is it valued or not? (laughs) Or what's the value of it? Okay, cool. So let's start with the Hall of Fame retrospective. So I'm going to ask a question that I think I know the answer to, which is, Ryan, did you watch any of the Hall of Fame speeches? I did not. So I tried to find them, and I don't know where they are. They are on the Freestyle Frisbee legacy page on Facebook, which I acknowledge is not the best place for them to be. But let me ask you a different question. If you had been able to watch them, would you have watched all three or four hours of them? Probably not. Okay. And why not? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Because they all tend to be older stories from before my time. Yes. Good point. So I will give a unexpected defense of the Hall of Fame speeches because I did not expect to enjoy listening to the Hall of Fame speeches and not because of any mean negative reason about the people or anything like that, but... I usually find award ceremonies like this pretty boring. Like I I don't really like going to the world's award ceremony, even when I'm going to win. I just find them a little bit awkward and strange and not all of us really practice making speeches. So why would they be any good? But for totally narcissistic reasons, Daniel and Paul said, you should listen to these. You come up a few times and you might find it interesting. So I put it on and I thought I would kind of skip around to find people that I knew a little bit better and thought I would be a little bit bored, but I was actually riveted from the first speech. And I think Margaret and I had plans to watch something. I was like, well, I just got to listen to a couple more Hall of Fame speeches and I'll be ready. And next thing I know, it was like 1.30 in the morning. (laughs) And I was (laughs) deep into these Hall of Fame speeches. And I think what I found so interesting about them is most freestylers, particularly Hall of Fame freestylers, have devoted their entire life to freestyle. And this Hall of Fame speech was there five or 10 minutes and over the course of their entire life where they got to reflect on and think about what freestyle meant to them. So it was kind of like seeing someone summarize their life's work in this really public space. And it was so moving. Even players that I didn't really know very well or have much of a relationship with, I just found what they had to say just incredible and look of course if not every speech or not every moment of every speech was super interesting for you know a new player who might not have those kinds of relationships but i think it's worth people's time to take a listen to a few of them to hear how much people care about freestyle and how much it meant to them over the course of their life and one thing that was also really moving was that a lot more players than i thought said a few things about what's happening in the sport now, which I really appreciate. So it's pretty easy to be kind of stuck in your generation, stuck in your world and, and not really pay much attention to what's happening now. But a lot of these Hall of Fame freestylers were naming names, talking about what was happening in the sport, being really excited about what's happening. And I just think that's really cool. And I hope that 
when me and you are crotchety old freestylers that we're still watching, engaging. I hope we're in the know about the cool things that are happening and we'll definitely give a shout out to them. But there's one question I wanted to ask you from this, which is that Clay Calera was a Hall of Fame inductee this year and he's Italian. He doesn't speak much English. So he wrote a speech that he had Arthur Coddington translate and Arthur read it out loud to the crowd. So my question for you, based on what we know about freestyle right now, is if we were to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in 30 years, where would it be? In what language would our speech need to be translated into <laughs> so that the audience and other Hall of Famers could understand what we're talking about? Because I don't think it's going to be English for what it's worth. I would say it would not be English two years ago, but your Duke crew has changed my mind. Ah, that's a very good point. So certainly if the Duke crew kept growing, I think the American freestyle scene could have a rejuvenation and English might be the dominant language because there's lots of American players, but also it's kind of a, I never know how to say this word right, but like the lingua franca, the like universal language that we all speak. But it also wouldn't surprise me if some years it's in Germany or in Poland or in Italy and that most of the players are speaking those languages or having translations to those languages. But it's pretty cool to think about how it's so American focused right now, but I think it <laughs> won't be that way going forward. Wait, we can do math, right? To figure out where it's going to be in 30 years because you're going to go where the players are being inducted. And we there's like that 40 year rule and like that's 10 years ago. So like who from started 10 years ago is going to be in the Hall of Fame. That's true. I would say it's mostly Italians, right? I think that's when That was Fabio, my first instinct. Like yeah, Fabio, well. Claudio, Matteo, maybe Andrea, Valerio. Those kind of players are going to be eligible 30 years from now. And so that class would be certainly primarily Italian because there weren't any new Americans yet. Besides maybe Matt and Jake, but they're a little bit earlier. And there weren't as many Germans yet, at least Germans who had won big titles yet. I think like most of the German players will be eligible a few years later. So I think it would be Italy. Italy. Is that the but Tom I, Leitner effect in yes. 30 years later? Yes, it must yeah. be the Tom Leitner effect. So yeah, I think it will be in Italy. But I guess me, you, and Daniel would be eligible. And like I don't want to be presumptuous, but there weren't there are, we were kind of a gap year, like when there weren't a lot of new players coming in. So mm. we got lucky. I mean, there's not going to be that many people that are eligible. <laughs> when we are. But you never know. Maybe the standards will raise and we won't be able to make the cut. Oh, and there's one other speech I wanted to mention. I know I'm blithering, but uh, of all the speeches that I heard over the Hall of Fame, the one that stuck with me the most was Joel Rogers because he talked all about freestyle as play. And I think there's this kind of interesting tension in Hall of Fame speeches in our sport where people are kind of struggling with, I devoted my whole life to playing Frisbee. And is there something weird about that? Or should I be embarrassed that my whole life was dedicated to a toy? But Joel just leaned right in and was like, play is essential to our lives. And it's so incredible that this is a group of people that have devoted their life to playing. And I just think that's a great message. And it helps me balance kind of like not taking myself too seriously as a freestyler, but taking freestyle very seriously, if that makes sense. So <laughs> like, I think now that I play a lot of ultimate, I get teased a lot about being a freestyler. 
And I'm kind of like, guys, I get it. Like freestyle, it's a really small sport. It's fine if you don't think it's that cool. But I do think it's cool to take freestyle seriously. It's so fun. And it's just like it covers so many bases. You're socializing. You're doing something physical. You're doing something creative. You're outside. Like It's a really good way to spend your time and spend your life. And Joel just kind of warmed my heart with, let's play. Freestyle's awesome. I'm all in. Okay. That's, this is as mushy-gushy as we'll ever get on this podcast, but I could not believe. You know me. I'm like so, I'm such a curmudgeon already, but I watched them and I was like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Awesome. Okay, we'll post the link in the description so okay. everyone can discover cool, the cool. joy you listen to. Yeah, maybe other people won't agree with me, but I think I do think it, it'll surprise a lot of people of how interesting and entertaining it is. Um, all right, so let's move on to our next segment. This one we kind of came up with on the fly on one of our episodes, but we want to do different kinds of drafts, uh, just kind of an idea that we think is fun and exciting. And the first draft we're going to do is we're going to rank the top 10 number one players in the world. So if you're living under a rock, there is a freestyle ranking system. It's been around since 1993. And at the end of every year, there's a or I should say it this way, the rankings change every month, but I collected names for all the year end number one players in the world. I don't think there were any one month, two month random number one players in the world that I missed. So I think this list includes every number one player in the world ever. But the way I created the list was by looking at the year end because otherwise I would have had to go through 30 year monthly <laughs> rankings to see who was number one. And as it turns out, there are 16 people who have ever been ranked number one in the world. So starting in 1993 and moving on, I'm not going to go year by year, but I'll just give you all the names. So we had Ted Oberhouse, Larry Imperiale, Bob Coleman, Dave Murphy, Arthur Coddington, Dave Lewis, Fabio Sana, Tom Leitner, Matteo Godoni, Jake Gauthier, Marco Prati, me, Paul Kenny, Florian Hess, Christian Lamrad, and Ryan Young. So I think that's 16 people who have ever been number one player in the world. Now, Ryan, my first question for you is, are there any notable absences from the number one player in the world list? Like people you would expect to have been number one, but were never number one. Hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Like the first thing that jumped out to me is the number 16 is not very many. For yes. what is like 30 years. Yeah, almost 30 years and only 16 players have ever been number one. Now there are some big stretches. So like for instance, you've been number one since 2018 and some of that's because of COVID. Tom Leitner was number one for several years. Jake, I mean, most people are number one for at least, I mean, certainly at least one year, but oftentimes two or three. And part of why that is, if you don't know how the rankings work, the and they're changing a little bit but historically the world championship has been basically double weighted and each division of the world championship counted as its own tournament and for a long time other tournaments they were different divisions were combined so worlds was the by far the best opportunity to win the points necessary to be the number one player in the world which means that if someone did particularly well one year at worlds they got first and first and open or first and third it's very likely that that person was number on the world for two years. Now, the reason two years is because the ranking system has historically had a two-year look-back period. So whatever month it is, 
you go back two years, whatever tournaments that player's in, they count towards their point total, and the ranking system looks at their top eight results. So that also means you can't just play in 50 tournaments and accrue the most ranking points. You only get your top eight. So you really have to win, or you really have to do extremely well in eight major tournaments. So usually four of your two-year tournaments, four of the eight for your two-year period are going to be Worlds. So one div two divisions each year. And then you probably need a good Frisbeer, Paganello, AFO, EFO result. Right, Ryan? Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, of course, it's still a big advantage to be able to go to lots of tournaments. So if you look at the rankings, one thing that's always interesting to look at is you'll see the number one player in the world might have 24 tournaments and the number two player in the world might have seven. And if the number two player in the world is close and they only have seven tournaments, probably all they needed to do was enter one tournament to be number one. And I think there's at least two players that I know of who basically, if they'd gone to any other tournament in that two-year stretch, would have been number one in the world. And that is, not surprisingly, Matt Gothier. And I think also Randy Silvey. I don't know if he had a years where he had only seven tournaments, but he definitely had years where he had far fewer tournaments than the other people in the top 10. As soon as he started describing that, I was like, that has to be Matt Gothier. Yeah. I think just because Jake is in there, I'm like, oh, the Gothiers are taken care of. And I like Matt was checked off of my checklist in my brain, but he is surprisingly missing. Yeah, he was he and Randy both had very long stretches where they were number two in the world and neither one of them ever reached number one. Um, but otherwise, the list isn't that surprising. I mean, there's definitely a lot of super top players that never became number one in the world. But usually that's because they weren't able to compete as much. Like another good example is Claudio Chinia. So he definitely had a couple of years where he was competing a lot, but he was never number one player in the world. Another thing that happens, which happened a little bit with me and you, which is that if players team up basically in every division, they generally have the same ranking points, except for the one or two tournaments they didn't compete with each other. So I think sometimes... Like, for instance, Alex Leist is never ranked number one. He might be one, thinking at the top of my head, who was number one for like a week some at some point. But part of why I think he was never number one is because he was always sharing points with Christian and Flo because they were not only a big co-op team, but they usually played pairs together. So there's, I'll just say, there's lots of weird things that can go into why someone is number one or why they aren't. But overall, it's a pretty impressive list of players who have reached number one status. So we are going to draft them. It's, it's just the two of us, so we're not going to do a snake draft or anything like that. So for all you draft nerds out there, sorry, we're going to keep it really simple. We're just going to go back and forth. And basically, we're just picking who we think is the best player. And you can do that by competition, by jamming, by overall. Like, I think it's actually worth it. I know there's so many qualifiers. I'm like, is this when they were number one or is it today's or so their I peak? I thought about that one. I think you should go by peak. And that's I know that's a joke because I was really bad when I was number one. But the reason I'm saying that is I have no idea when Dave Lewis or Bob Coleman, like what they were when they were number one. So I can't really <laughs> judge them based on the time they were number one. I can really only tell you what I know about their game. There's also going to be a little bit of a bias. Like, sorry, Bob Coleman, I don't know nearly as much about your game as I do the other players. So you might be ranked unfairly low. But overall, I think it'll be interesting. I also think me and you are going to have 
pretty different drafts and I'm curious where we're going to end up. But I'm going to give you the first pick, Ryan, and you can make whatever qualifiers you want, but you are up first. I know. I feel like the qualifiers make more of a difference than the players at this point. It's like, am I picking the team to like, it's like, uh, we're like in an arena and you have to, we're like, we pick our players to be our champions and whoever team loses, like we get killed. <laughs> like at, yeah, it's at a, the maybe think of it's like space jam. So a bunch of aliens have come down <laughs> and they have some monster team. That's just the best freestylers. And we have to put together our team of freestyles to beat them. And maybe it's like city versus city. Like we're going to need some people that are going to do solo. Some people are going to do pairs. Some <laughs> okay. are going to do co-op. Some are, so you kind of, you might want like a well-rounded team, but I think generally just try to pick the best player and you'll find a way to use them in this space jam battle. And maybe once we've drafted our teams, we can talk about what roles we'd want them to do. Like, would this be our solo carry or would this be our mob op extraordinaire? Like we can kind of divvy up our teams the way we think their skill sets are. Okay. So I'm going to pick it for some imaginary system we come up in like 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. I'm starting with Arthur Coddington. Smart. It's like, tell me just, why the raw technical skill. If you need someone to spin to win, like Arthur Coddington's your person. See, this is already funny to you because you're already so focused on the competitive aspect. And I was thinking a little bit less competitive than you are, but Arthur is an excellent choice. So he has something like 15 world titles. He was definitely one of the scariest people to compete against. I know he was a little bit of a barrier for me when I was kind of starting to get good. Like I felt like I could win every tournament unless Arthur was there because he was so consistent in competition. And yeah, that's a great choice. I totally respect that. So I'm going to cross that off the list. <laughs> um, it's going to be an inelegant way of doing this, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do that. I thought you were just going to add something. Okay, that works. Okay, so I'm up next. The board is still wide open. I can't believe I'm doing this because I feel like I'm, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't expect to do this, but I'm taking Fabio Sana second. <laughs> In let me be clear. He's the European God of freestyle. He's on the greatest of all time list from Skippy Jammer. He's a world champion. He's one of the best players in the world. But I think I didn't expect to want to pick him this high because I think other players have higher ceilings. Like if I was watching their greatest move highlights, I would be more impressed with certain other players. But Fabio's consistency in his floor are so good so let's start with his floor he almost never does something not cool like everything he does is pretty valid even if he catches it under the leg or something really simple that i normally wouldn't like from another player the way he does it makes it totally cool now you're thinking of this very competitively is he the best competitor I'm not sure. I think he might have been in his prime, which I would guess is probably like the 2010 range. And now he's a lot more chill and relaxed about competition. But it's hard to judge because I don't think he's coming to win every tournament like he might have been in the past. So what do you think? Am I crazy for taking him too? No, no. I think that's a strong choice. Okay. All right. What do you got? You're up third. 
Okay. I'm going with Jake Gothier. Like, the reason I took Arthur first is because I knew you weren't going to take Jake with your first pick. But, like, Jake is the best mob opper of all time. He has the best crosswind set. He's tall. And it's just, like, all, he has all the pieces you need to be the best mob opper. It is an excellent choice. I like how you're already thinking strategically. I was not thinking about who you wouldn't pick. Like, I probably could have left Fabio on the board because I think you would have given that to me a little bit later down. But I'm in the spirit of keeping things honest here. I'm just truly trying to go down my list and not be too strategic about it. But I think you're wrong. It's Jake is very high on my list. And I'm not <laughs> sure. I think there's... But was he number one? I was definitely going to pick Jake in the second pick I mean, <laughs> from the start. I guess start. I knew you would pick Jake very high, and that's a totally, totally valid choice. I mean, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. He was a ferocious competitor. He was very consistent in his catching. He is the best mob opper. Incredible sets. And I actually think he's gotten better. Like, he has filled in the very few missing aspects of his game. And I think what was missing was that spin to win ceiling. But now he has that. Like when you jam with him, he will bust out a crazy triple barrel guidance. Like Jake Gothier can do a triple barrel guidance. I don't know if everybody realizes that, but that's super hard. I also have one other story about Jake and I'm getting, I'm running hot here because I'm so excited. There was a jam at Beach Weekend a few years ago that started out with like me, you, Matt Gothier, Jake Gothier, Bob Bulware, like a bunch of other super elite players, Pavel, Benno, and the wind just kept picking up little by little. And someone sat down, someone else sat down, you sat down. And then it was like me, Matt, and Jake. And it was like 25, 30 mile per hour wind. And then Matt sat down and then it was just me and Jake. And there's <laughs> just this critical point where the wind went from like 32 to 33. And I just had to bow out. It's like my game finally collapsed under the weight of the wind. And Jake was not even peaking yet like he was getting better he was like reaching higher levels of the freestyle plane it's like and, an anime yes and I, and I went up to him after it's like what how, how are you even doing this like what you're the only one here among a bunch of all-star freestylers who can play right now and he told me he had like some long drive he used to do in california and he would whenever he took a break he'd just stop pull over and go onto some beach with a heinous 50 mile per hour wind or something and you just go out there and brush and yeah, he's amazing. And he's also a good pick for that. Like if there was some part of the competition that was extreme conditions or high wind, I think he's the best high wind player of all time. Like he and Pipo could fight about that, but I would definitely give it to Jake in my book. Also, hasn't Jake and Arthur denied both of us a world championship title? Jake and Arthur have denied me so many titles in my life. But yeah, I did... <laughs> One of, them, one of my heartbreaking ones, although honestly, I didn't expect it to win in the, in the moment, but Matt and I in 2013 got second to them when we lost by 0.2 or something completely ludicrous. Um, yeah, and they were not on top. They didn't even give us the chance to take mm -hmm. them down later. Smart, smart guys. Okay, so I'm really torn here. I have two that I'm thinking about. One is Tom Leitner and one is Dave Murphy. I think Tom Leitner is probably the right choice, but I'm going to zag and go with my heart and go with Dave Murphy. And here's my pitch for Dave Murphy. 
every other player on this list, I feel very, relatively comfortable saying this, every player on this list, except maybe Flo, weirdly, I can imitate their game. So like I can, if we have like a contest, like karaoke or something, I could play in a way to mimic them close enough that if you knew what the game was, you might be able to tell I was trying to be them. Like I see their moves, I understand them. I'm not as good at them as they are, but like I can kind of do it. Dave Murphy I watch and I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this. Like I have no idea how to do the stuff that you're doing. He's got a totally unique style and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. I think a lot of people view him as this crazy high diff turbo shred jammer, which he is, but he has to be one of the most creative freestylers of the last several decades. Like how many unique moves does he have compared to other people and how hard are those moves? They're not gimmicky. It's not just two or three that he's made his signature. He has dozens and dozens of weird moves that I've never seen. And yet going back to our other conversation, it all fits within traditional freestyle. He has complete control. He makes it consecutive. He can hit a six spinning beach catch when you need him to. And he throws rip and Z's and he's a great guy. What do you think? Yep. Strong choice. I'm wondering how your team works together now that you have Fabio and Dave Murphy. I mean, maybe I don't have to, I don't have to necessarily pair them up in this hypothetical <laughs> alien competition that we have. And I actually think they would do pretty well together because Fabio would be the glue that kept things going, but there's a little bit of a mismatch. So I don't think Dave Murphy does not like a lot of counter there. And he's very honest about that. So that's a little bit of a weakness on my team, but neither does Arthur. So we're, we, we kind of even out there. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure Dave and Fabio would have a super hang jam, but I get what you mean that my synergies aren't super high yet. Okay. All right. Is it my turn? Yes. All right. I need a clarification before my next pick. So in the space jam situation, am I the coach of one of the teams? And you're you the coach can pick of the yourself, team. first of all. <laughs> Wait, I'm only going to pick myself if I'm going to be, if we have to pick coaches. I'm not going to play on my team, but no, I need to coach I think, my team. I think, well, you're, you're definitely, I'm not picking myself. I assume you're not picking yourself. You're yeah. definitely both playing on my team and coaching your team. Wait, wait, so if I pick myself, I'd have to play? You can, you have to play no matter what, because one of us has to pick you. Oh, no, I'm like, but maybe I want to be on your team so, so I can pick someone higher value. Right, you were going way too far into the hypothetical space jam. Someone well, will pick this is you. the whole point of the draft is we're like, <laughs> that's the draft is like about the system more than the pieces. You will be picked by one of us. Okay. You get to decide what that means or how that works. But one of us will pick you. Okay. All right. Just to keep things... I don't know, more sane. I'm going to go with James Wiseman. Okay. Just because. Tell me why. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but if you just need the, like the top of the top or like the highest ceiling player, that's who you're going to pick. And I think if this happens, like if this game were to happen in the future, like your peak would still be, like it would be then. It wouldn't be in the past like everyone else on this list. Hmm. I'm not going to attack myself because it seems weird. But what what are the drawbacks? Why why should you pick me later than now? One, for was... our purposes, you could have picked me last because I wasn't going to pick myself. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> why would you not pick me? 
I think I was either going to pick myself or you. I was either going to pick me as the coach or as you as like the next best player. Got it. Okay. All right. So I'm on your team with Jake and Arthur. I'm very happy to be with Jake, especially. I feel like Jake and I have good, good synergies. Um, okay. So I'm up. Just keep everyone honest. You have Arthur, Jake, and me. And right now I have Fabio and Dave Murphy. And on the board, just keeping everyone up to date, is Ryan Young, Christian Lamrad, Florian Hess, Paul Kenny, Marco Prati, Matteo Godoni, Tom Whitener, Dave Lewis, Bob Coleman, Larry Perelli, Ted Oberhaus. I think I have to pick Tom Whitener next. So Tom Whitener on the list of greatest players of all time by Skippy Jammer has, I think, over 20 world titles. I think if you, this sounds like a weird limitation, but it's not, it's very broad. If you wanted clock beach freestyle, I don't think anyone is that close to what Tom Leitner can do. His highs on the beach are so much higher than everybody else that it's absolutely wild. Now, he does have a couple limitations. He's not big into counter, although he's been getting better at that, I hear. And he, I don't want to say he he doesn't have depth because he does, but he definitely is in, he's like almost so traditional that he's not looking at anything outside the traditional world. Like he's an incredible brusher, roller, kicker, skids, couple basic turnovers, but he's not doing too many wild and wacky things. I also think he's a great competitor and I think he has really good synergy with Dave Murphy and he's going to give the best clock max should we need that super high spin. Thoughts? No, the throw is a overlooked point that I didn't consider. That was like so key. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, I mean, all your can... points about the beach. Yeah, the yes. beach. Like if the competition's on the beach, then I mean, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of other players that are on the beach, but if it was, yeah, turbo shred and you just needed one person to go out there and win. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to like, are we talking about like when they were number one or when they're... I'm talking peak? Like I want Tom Leitner in shape in his like late 30s just going completely bonkers on the beach. And I think he's going to totally crush. Also, if you needed a move to go to 11, I think it's Tom. Like it wouldn't be every time. He wouldn't get it every time. But if you just needed like, if there was a division where you got 50 tries and you needed the hardest move ever, I think Tom Leitner would be a pretty good choice for that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Okay. You are up. Okay. So my next pick, I was my all my picks are like role based like they, I pick people for like one attribute and the next attribute is I need someone that doesn't drop like maybe well there's a competition where they'll play 10 minutes and it's like the old system where it's all execution and like we need a drop list 10 minute routine and it comes down between Paul Kenny and Chega right Marco Prati I think but I'm there's gonna... another person that should be in the running for that but continue <laughs> okay. but I'm gonna go with Marco Prati smart all right give like me not more. only am i going to get 10 minutes of dropless freestyle i'm going to get like 20 doubles and probably like nine double spinning barrels and then a double spinning barrel guide us at the very end i agree i agree and th- i think this is where the draft starts to get especially interesting maybe with a couple exceptions i think if i were splitting with i you should be in the top tier i i sincerely believe that and i'll explain why but i think if i I think I could split this list into two tiers and I think everyone 
besides maybe you and Dave Lewis, I'd put in tier one and everyone that's still left, I might put in tier two, which again, we're talking about the literal number one players in the world here. So I'm no disrespect to anybody, but I get where you're going with Marco because like you said, he's one of the most consistent catchers. I mean, we talked before about how when I practiced with him in 2016, I mean, he, I'm not exaggerating. He just never, ever dropped it. It was completely insane. But I do think he has, and again, this is relative to number one players in the world, a lower ceiling and a lower breadth of skill than some of the other options that are still on the board, if that makes sense. Yep. Okay, but you took But I'm Marco. picking, yep. You, you just want a catcher. You want a catcher. Yeah. That's totally valid. Interesting. Okay. I'm building the abuse team. <laughs> You're building like this hall of fame. You want to listen to all these speeches in like 30 minutes when they're talking. <laughs> okay. 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 So now I'm going to just tell you my thought process. I'm really torn between you and Dave Lewis. And I'm actually very proud of you because you are really high on this list for me. Like I, I think if I just thought in a vacuum, like how high would I put you? on the list of number one players in the world. I wouldn't have thought this, but like you're definitely in the top half. Like that's, it sounds like I'm being so mean, but I, I think, you know, I think, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time, but, and I also know you a lot better than Dave Lewis. So I know that I can trust you in competition. I know that you're going to catch it. And I know that you're going to think very strategically. I assume from what I hear that Dave Lewis is very similar but might have a little bit more breadth. Like for instance, I think he would be more comfortable with counter. And I think he might even be more strategically focused than you are, which is hard to imagine. So I think I've <laughs> talked myself into it. I'm going to take Dave Lewis. Okay. Also, I can't let you have Dave and Arthur. I mean, that you got to break that team up. <laughs> that is true if we're going for pairings. Yeah, what if the competition was like every, it was like round robin where everyone had to play with everyone on your team? And it was like the sum score. Yeah. And let me shed a little more love on Dave Lewis so I don't skimp out on him. I just know a little bit less about some of these other players because Dave Lewis generally stopped playing before I started with a couple exceptions. But Arthur Coddington is my biggest source of information on Dave Lewis. And if you ask Arthur about Dave, he will go on about Dave's incredible skill set and how he could basically do anything on command 10 times in a row if you needed him to which is not only really valuable as a competitor, I think it shows you that he would have answers to all your questions in a jam. And I actually do remember in 2010, Virginia, in the field house at one in the morning, there was a big jam where I was totally jam busting, but it was like Dave Lewis, Jake Gauthier, Randy Sylvie, and maybe Dave Murphy. And Dave Lewis was just going completely bonkers on everybody. And I was like, wow, this guy is absolutely incredible i was never like the biggest fan of his form but that's like the only nitpick i can have with this game because it's otherwise pretty much flawless okay you're on the board okay so the next role i'm gonna pick is a routine builder and you know how some people are just always the second place in every category and that's why they're so good they're like well-rounded like mm -hmm. paul kenny's the second place in this category because it's gonna i'm gonna take flow oh you're taking flow I'm taking flow. So smart. Okay. Tell me more. Like one of the three of the Karlsruhe dynasty. Mm -hmm. And like, even in his pairs routine, they're very flowy and showy in a way that 
I think other people are scared to make routines that way. Like the amount of, I mean, I think you disagree with this, but the amount of like non-freestyle flair in the routine, I think is valuable. Like Flo has like, he has like 5% more than you're comfortable, but I think that 5%, I want it. Very valid. So I actually do agree that, so just as background, I have made clear that I'm not a big fan of non-freestyle aspects of freestyle routines. So I don't love it if people are wearing costumes or have like a 30 second skit before they go on. I'm talking very derogatory, but it's just not something I'm a big <laughs> fan of. But I will say that flow and the Carl's routines that I've watched have these added elements that I do appreciate. So I know there was like a breakdancing part of one routine that they did that I actually thought was valid. And I think one of my criticisms of what you're calling flair, which is a nice word for it, is that oftentimes whatever it is, is not done very well. So it's like, cool, you're going to do a dance routine in the middle of your routine. Are you dancers? Like, have you ever danced before? <laughs> because it doesn't look like you're very good at this other thing. So I'm not very impressed with it. But when Flo did his breakdancing, I'm sure he's not like a pro breakdancer. But to my eyes, it looks really cool. And as routine building, very good point for anyone who doesn't know the history. And I hope there's lots of new players that listen to this. 2016 Karlsruhe co-op was a magical moment that everyone who was there will remember. So Karlsruhe, the team was Florian Hess, Alexander Leist, and Christian Lambrad. And that team and a variation of that team that had Karsten Heim instead of Alex Leist had played together for like 10 years. And they never won. They got second at like every single event. And they just had a really long road. And in 2016, everything came together in the gym in Brooklyn. They not only had just one of those dominant routines where the judges just put their pencils down because they're like, we know who won. There's no question about this. If there was any doubt who won 2016 co-op, right at the end of the round, Florian Hess looks over to the basket on this basketball court and throws a full court hammer and swishes it through the net and people lost their minds. So imagine laying down a world championship winning routine and then sinking a full court frisbee shot and then you understand the magic of 2016. But it's on video, go check it out. So very good pick, but again, not one that I necessarily would have expected, but I understand your reasoning. So the logical thing for me to do based on what you said is to pick Paul Kenny here because I do think there's a lot of value in his strategy and his routine building, but I definitely need to think about it because <laughs> so here's who's left. We have Ryan, we have Christian Lamrad, we have Paul Kenny, Matteo Godoni, Bob Coleman, Larry Imperiale, and Ted Oberhaus. Poor Bob, Larry, and Ted, but I, I think some of it is because we're from a different generation, so we're not as familiar with them at their peak. But I'm actually going to take you here. And I'm very, I feel like I'm going to need a lot of value this late in the draft with you. <laughs> but I think you bring, I don't know if it's 85, 95, or 100% of Paul Kenny's routine building. So I think I get a lot of the Paul Kenny value with you. Like, I think I get that kind of smart, strategic, artistic vision. But I'm also going to get, doubles on command and just a lot of super clean hand moves and i also think like your best stat which is a lot like jake's best stat is elevating other players 
So I think you synergize with everyone on my team and you make them all a little bit better. <laughs> okay. Any, are you going to diss yourself like I diss myself? I can't remember if I did or not, honestly. So tell me if I just forgot. Is there anyone I should have taken above you? I was just thinking, no, I was wondering, like, am I always in, okay, so, like, in a relay team, you put the weakest swimmer, like, in swimming as the third out of the fourth. Am I always going to, will always be, like, the third person up in a relay team? But I, this is where, like, I'm pleasantly happy for you, because I don't think by any stretch you're the weakest, weakest link here. Like, I think almost skill for skill, you're better than the players that are remaining. Paul... I mean, I think every player remaining has like some real signature strengths that are untouchable. I think actually one thing that's worth saying about all the number one players is I think everybody has something that they're untouchable on. It's like, oh, they're they're this. Like, if you need this, this is the person. Like, Paul Kenny, if you need crazy technical turnover guides, there's no one else on this list who's going to do it quite as well. But if you, I think 80% of the game that everyone shares I think pound for pound, you're better than the players that are remaining. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, am <laughs> okay. I up then? No, no, you. No, no, I it's picked my you. Turn. I picked you. Okay. Yeah. All right. This is like a preview of what's to come later in the debate, but I think even picking this late in the draft, it's still overrated. But I need a counter player because I have all clock right now. And hey, I'll, I, I will bring you all the counter you need on your team, Ryan, <laughs> but continue. But I need a counter brusher, and Larry, okay. no one else can compare to Larry. Okay. So tell me more. Give, give me your pitch for Larry. Not, he's he's okay. a great counter brusher, but what else is he bringing for you? I mean, I'm picking people based on roles, and that's he is the best out of even outside of this list, I think. It's like, I'm going to get Scarecrow brushes. I'm going to get a turbo roll that can fix anything, even if it's like this weird devil's angle that he You're going to get that crazy clock UD roll turnover counter power brush. I mean, or power power roll. That's That that move by itself has a lot of value. <laughs> I also get the counter spin throw. So it's mm -hmm. like the Tommy Lightner equivalent. That's true. You get the counter back. The problem is the rest of your team doesn't want it, but <laughs> you do have it available. Yeah. Okay, that's a great pick. I'm trying to think. I'm pleasantly surprised Larry went so high, but I think he's an amazing player. I also think Sneaky, back when he was younger, he had a much more, I don't want to use traditional here because it mixes up some of our other conversations, but he had like a much more conventional freestyle game. So, like, if you needed him to, he could do double spinning pulls and all the stuff that everyone else does if he needed to. So I think he actually has a lot of stuff going on that we're not even thinking about because we're seeing Larry at the end of his career, but he had a much deeper game back in his prime. So it's worth, it's worth mentioning. Okay. Now it's getting really tough and I feel so bad, but these are all number one players in the world. So they have to deal with it. I'm sorry. You were the best player in the world for a year or two. So you're getting chosen at the end. It's fine. So Paul Kenny is the obvious choice here, but again, I might have to go with my heart with Ted Oberhaus. And I actually think I'm getting a ton of value here, and I kind of knew he was going to still be here because other people don't know his game like I've come to know his game. So I play with Ted in his 50s, and he's still one of the best players I've ever played with. 
And I think if I had played with Ted in his 30s, he would be blowing me out of the water. And I think if I was more familiar with him in his 30s and you were too, we would be picking him probably in the top five because he is clocker counter. He can double on command. He's incredibly consistent. He's one of the best jammers. I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't say he's one of their favorite people to jam with. He was a ferocious competitor. He hit a quad in the routine of the decade in 2003. And I'm not even sure that was his best routine from 2000 to 2004. That's how good of a player he was. He easily could have won 20 world titles if he wanted to, but he won his five and just said, I don't need to compete anymore. So I think he has phenomenal value here. And I almost am thinking to myself, why didn't I pick him earlier? But I think it's because he's at the bottom of the list. <laughs> so I wasn't, <laughs> he just wasn't quite on top of mind, but he is super great pick. Any thoughts? Yeah, Teddy was going to be my next pick. It's the longevity was what I was going to mention. It's like, like he was the number one player in 1993, but I remember jamming with him till like one o'clock in the morning in like 2012. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should add, He's one of the few people besides Dave Murphy who I want to stop jamming first. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm about to pass out. Can we stop? But Ted will keep going and keep going and keep going. And yeah, longevity is a big deal. I mean, he easily could have been number one player in the world over a 20 year span if he had kept competing. And yeah, I love Ted. Just such a great player, such a good person. And yeah, I'm glad I got him on my team. All right, you're up. I think I know where you're going now. Do you think so? I was going to pick something unorthodox because now I'm just like, I have like, we build like all your important, it's like a priority list, right? So you're like getting all your like <laughs> core team set. And okay. then you're picking like these things that are like high, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like in tech, it's like you bet on something that's high risk, high reward. Mm, I see. Yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. These are your gambles. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to choose Matteo Godoni. Wow. He's won two times. Like how many of these players have won open pairs two years in a row? So like when he gets hot, he stays hot. That is an excellent choice. Downright disrespectful to Paul Kenny. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Matteo Godoni is amazing. I was really great to see him play at Worlds this year. He was the number one player in the world when I started, 2010. There he is. And competitively, he's incredibly consistent. Jam-wise, he's incredibly good. He has great throws. I mean, there's really nothing bad you can say about him. I think the only reason he doesn't go higher on my list is he doesn't have the same ceiling as everybody else. He might be someone that has a really high floor, like you know what you're getting from him and he's not going to screw up and he's going to be really good and he's going to make other people better. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong though. Cause he does like, who else is going to give you the six guidance pull consecutive combo and do a double spinning catch? I don't know. And he's also one of the low key best brushers out there. So now that I'm thinking about it, it is a really strong pick. <laughs> yeah. But didn't, Here's the only catch, though, to his, his pairs wins, because you were talking those up. His pairs yeah. partners were Arthur Connington and Tom Leitner. So he was playing with two people at the top of their game. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Not many people have won 
I think only three people have won two pairs titles in a row with different partners. Arthur Coddington would, would know the answer to that. I think about it the other way. It's like he was the common link in those two because those other players played in those other years and didn't win. That's true. And they picked him to be their partner. So obviously they thought he was peaking and they wanted to grab that. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great I think it's a great point. I think it's super valid. Okay. I think we both don't know Bob Coleman. I think he would go way higher on other people's list. So sorry, Bob Coleman. Um, but I'm not gonna pick you yet. I'm gonna pick Paul Kenny. I also think I'm getting enormous value right now. But maybe you always feel like you're getting value because these are number one players <laughs> in the world. But Paul Kenny First, let me explain why I think he's going so low. One, it's because everyone on the list is so good. But two, it's because Paul Kenny did not start seriously freestyling until he was 35 years old. So he had a much later start than other people. And he has had to play with a much more broken down body than everybody else. So like, if you start in your mid-30s, you're not going to have the same kind of explosive peak as someone who starts when they're 18 and is hitting their peak at like 32. So he definitely gets knocked a little bit there in a way that isn't really fair. Because I actually think, and tell me what you think of this, I think if you were picking someone who made the most out of their circumstances, I would pick Paul Kenny. Like, given how late he started and kind of like the limitations of his body, he has made more of a freestyle career and developed more incredible freestyle skills than anybody else. Disagree? Agree? I agree. Yeah, so like, I'll, I'll take your side of the argument. Jay Gothier was born to be an incredible freestyler. He starts <laughs> young in his high school years. He's 6'6". Like, everything is set up for him to be an incredible freestyler. Paul Kinney, not so. He's starting at 35 with a bad back and broken knees and becomes a technical monster and the most innovative player for two decades. So, Paul absolutely deserves to be on this list and easily could have been taken higher and it would not surprise me if other people would have taken him like first second or third on their draft but here's the value you get with paul one of the best minds at routine building ever many of the most memorable routines i've ever watched are from paul kenny i especially like some of his early double or i should say multi-disc routines with dan yarnell just absolutely mind-blowing dan randy and him had great co-ops he is incredibly consistent. You can count on him to catch it when you need him to. He, what he lacks in physical gifts, he makes up for with technical prowess. So his turnovers, his guides, his against the spin moves are so advanced and so clean that he's going to give you nines and tens just like everybody else, even if it's in a very different way. Um, am I missing anything? What else is, what else is great about Paul? the the coaching i was about to say that exact same thing so tell me more <laughs> uh so maybe this was just his point in paul's career but when we started playing it was when he really got into the let me pick new up new up and coming players and kind of guide them through the competition like process and yeah. like the routine building process and like i think do you have a lot of like is your routine building skills like partially due to Paul Kenny coaching. Absolutely. I think, you know, I played with Zofia this year and I think half of everything I told her were things that Paul Kenny had told me before. And you remind me of another aspect that relates to the coaching, which is 
one thing I think about a little bit when looking at this list, and it's something I hear talked about in a lot of other sports, is not only do you have a lot of world titles, were you the best player on the team that won those world titles? And I think Paul Kenny was often, usually, the majority of the time, the best player on the team that won his world titles. So if he won two with Daniel and me, definitely the best player on those teams. That was well before Dan and I really had our leaps. And because of his strategy of taking on kind of up and comers and bringing them up, when he wins, he is usually the best player on his team. And even if he's not like, even when he's playing with, you know, Marco and Balu, or he might not quite be the most technically skilled or physically gifted player on the team, he's responsible for their win because he's the one who puts the routine together, guides everyone through the process. I mean, he gets you over the hump. So, and in this Space Jam competition format, he's extremely <laughs> valuable as a coach. So we probably gave him almost too much love there, but Paul deserves it. And I think I think we just needed to explain why he didn't make it higher given his skill set. So I was lucky enough to get Paul. So you're up. Yep. And so like you, I don't know who Paul Coleman is and I haven't I can't Bob, remember you don't, even, you don't even know his name, Yo, Bob Coleman. <laughs> you said Paul like, okay, Bob Coleman. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that was some <laughs> parapraxis. So continue, continue. I think, yeah, a lot of our picks are based on uh, like familiar, how like how familiar we are with the players. Yeah. And even with Christian Lamred, I cannot do him justice with like a long explanation because yeah. I just haven't played or interacted with him enough. But I have played with him more than I have with Bob Coleman. So I'll have to take Christian. Okay. So I'm in a similar boat, which is kind of interesting because we did overlap a lot with Christian. But I think for some reason, we just weren't in a lot of tournaments with him. I think he went to a lot of the big European tournaments that we wouldn't have been able to go to necessarily. And we were there for the couple years he was winning worlds. But like you, I didn't really jam with him a lot or interact with him a lot. And I think part of that is because he and the Karlsruhe team were famous for being just pure competitors. Like they were there to win the tournament. They weren't going to be spending a lot of time jamming. They were focused on winning and performing. So I think we got to know them a little less. But I do know that like if you need a triple barrel with great form in the final round of the world championship, Christian is a good person to have on your list. I also think he's one of those people that has sneaky depth. So like the I can only think of one time I jammed with him in 2016 in New York where he would do stuff where I thought like, I've never seen you do this before and I'm surprised that you can do it so well and so comfortably. So I think there's a lot more to his game that we just don't know about. But, and he was also before you, the highest point total number one player in the world. And he like made a big jump. So clearly he was dominant in a way that no one had been before he became the number one player in the world. Because one thing to note is like in the early years, most of the players only had six or seven tournaments. So a lot of times the people who were ranked in the top 10 just had more results than everybody else. But of course, like the reason they would have more results is they were the better players anyway. So they were trying to go to all the tournaments. So it's like, it's not like an excuse or anything, but it's just worth noting that Christian made this giant jump over everyone else. Okay, so you're taking Christian. I'm actually honored to take Bob Coleman. So this is where I'm going more by stories than much experience with him. But Bob, I believe, played a long time with Ted. 
and Ted talks a lot about how great Bob was. I also heard Bob talk at the Hall of Fame and he seemed like an awesome person and everyone seemed to have a lot of incredible things to say about his game. So I think that's my wild card. I have no idea what he's bringing me, but I bet you he's really, really good and he's going to crush in my Space Jam competition. <laughs> okay, so before I forget, let me read off both of our teams. And if we have any listeners, I hope people will send us emails or write on Facebook to tell us which of us drafted the better team. And we will talk about this fake competition, but here's who's on the team so far. So Ryan drafted Arthur Coddington, Jake Gauthier, James Wiseman, Marco Prati, Florian Hess, Larry Imperiale, Matteo Godoni, and Christian Lamrod. I selected Fabio Sana, Dave Murphy, Tom Leitner, Dave Lewis, Ryan Young, Ted Oberhaus, Paul Kenny, and Bob Coleman. And my list is so much better than yours, just telling you right up. <laughs> I have so much confidence in my team. I think you have a really strong top half, but I think I'm well-rounded. Like, I my second... And last, second to last and last pick are Paul Kenny and Bob Coleman. I think I'm crushing right now. I think it's the conditions matter. Like in Space Jam, only five players are on the court at a time. And so like you only need a strong top half. Okay, so let's imagine. So we each have, so I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Or I think we both have eight or nine. So let's say in this Space Jam competition, you needed a pairs team, a co-op team, a battle team, and a five-man mob op. And let's okay, see. Okay, what's the pick. battle team? Are you just need a? Let's say you five pick. People. Let's say you pick three people to do solo battle. So take a look at your list. Let's start with, and you can repeat a little bit, but you have to like goods in good faith, yeah. try to pick everyone on your team because it's going to be too yeah, hard to okay, keep track of everything, sense. but like kind of try to use everybody. Okay, so I'm looking. Okay. We'll cut out this moment of silence while we think through our list. <laughs> I, I think I can do it in real time. Mine is going to be Jake and Arthur for pairs. Smart, okay. Let me <laughs> like that's the reason they're the first two picks. Okay, so who am I picking? I might pick Ted and Dave. They had the routine of the decade, D Dave Murphy, to be clear. So I would pick Ted Oberhaus and Dave Murphy as my pair team. Pair team. Routine of the decade. I thought a lot about Tom and Dave, but I think Ted and Dave. Dave is, by the way, a sneaky, great routine builder. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but he builds really creative, interesting routines. So I think, and Ted too. So I think I have a lot of artistry in that team. I have an exceptional amount of difficulty and Dave Murphy has never not made the finals. So I have a lot of competitive consistency. Okay. Like in their prime, I think my Paris team, I think most people would assume that yours Paris team would beat mine, but I think they're wrong. I think my Paris team would win. It depends who's coaching whose team. If I'm coaching Jake and Arthur, Jake and Arthur would win. And I you think, were coaching. I think you're <laughs> cannibalizing each other's skills. I think you, Jake, and Arthur... You are all bringing, especially you and Arthur, are bringing very similar cutthroat strategy. And you're basically, you're not adding any more value because Arthur's already got that covered. <laughs> I think I bring a nice outside perspective to Ted and Dave. I'm not going to tinker too much. I'm going to let them do their thing. But I'm going to make sure that everything they do has optimal value. But it's it's valid. I think those are two incredible pairs teams. It's interesting that we both picked real life pairs teams. 
So I think I'm, that's valid. Yeah, I think that's going to be common because for co-op, I'm also going to choose Flo and Christian for like the obvious two. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, who's the most like compatible third? I think it, it has to be Chega. I thought you would do that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I also think you need just hard diff just coming in out of nowhere. And Chega is definitely going to give that to you. Okay, so co-op, obviously I'm putting Paul Kenny on my team. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm also going to put... Hmm, I'm going to put Fabio Sana on the team. He's going to be my my glue. And then... Now, here's a strategy. And again, it's so unfair because we just don't know anything about Bob Coleman. Do I want to hide what may be a weak link, not knowing more? Or do I... Like, do I, because for instance, I remember in the city versus city, there was like a similar problem where you had five people on your team and you had to allocate them to different positions. And I remember I was the coach and I had certain strategy that I was thinking about. I wasn't sure if I did the right thing or not. So for instance, like in the battles, Graf was on the other team and I was on my team. And I thought, do I battle Graf and hope that I beat him? Or do I battle someone I know I'm going to win? So I guarantee the point. And I put Graf against my worst player so that it's just like, Graf, you can win your point as long as I get my point. In the end, I had the courage and I went up against Graf. And I honestly don't remember which one of us won. But like, <laughs> I'm thinking about that in my head. Like, do I want to have a power co-op team or do I want to like hide a weaker player on my co-op team? But I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to throw away a battle potentially. And I'm going to put Dave Lewis on my co-op team. And I think of him as my ceiling raiser on this co-op team. So Paul's my artistic master, and he's going to give me consistent sevens and eights. Fabio's going to be all over the place. He's going to give me some artistry ones and twos. He's also going to give me some nines and tens. And Dave Lewis is just hitting nines and tens. Like he is not dabbling in any ones and twos here. He's just going to bring me hard diff. And I think Fabio, and especially his form, is going to balance out the very few weaknesses of Dave Lewis. I know. Now that I'm looking at the two completed co-op teams, it's it's they're both really strong. Yeah. These are all number one players in the world, Ryan. They better be good. <laughs> I still like my team better than yours, but... <laughs> okay, now we're in the battle. So who's in your battle? I think it's just the last... So this is how I know I drafted like the right people is because it's the remaining three are like the perfect for the battle okay because like i have my surprise factor mateo okay then i have larry who's like the solo counter dominant player in the list like the battle is just like the perfect format yeah. and then it's james who's going to be the best battle player whenever this takes whenever this battle happens it's interesting that you chose me for battle because i feel like battle is my weakest format but with that said, if it was a Space Jam situation and I had even a week to prepare, I would I would be ready to battle. I think. I think I have way more insight than most people do on your battle skills because, for one, you've never participated in any of the battle events. I have at least one, none of the online ones. <laughs> I have one tied. <laughs> this is actually kind of a funny story. So I have only one individual competitive format win. Granted, I've competed in, I think, two or maybe three, but I did turbo shred at beach stylers one year and there was five judges 
scores from zero to a hundred and Pavel, Baranek, Dave Schiller, and I tie to the hundredth of a point. And we had to decide whether to compete or to take the three person victory. And especially at that time, I think it was like 2016 or 2017. I definitely wasn't the best player. So I was like, uh, can we please take just the win? I don't want you guys to crush <laughs> me in battle, especially Pavel, because he's one of the best battle players. He's also, by the way, someone I put on my list of it's it's not shocking. He's not on the number one player in the world list, mostly because he hasn't competed as much because he's like taking over the world. But uh, he's someone who would be very valuable on this on one of these teams, especially in battle. But okay, valid. So Mateo, I totally get. Larry, I also totally get. He, I, early on, I remember seeing him battle at uh, Super Hain, and he was he was amazing. Okay, so I'm going to pick. Oh, how did I leave you out? Because I don't know if I want you battling. You don't want me in battle. That's like my worst event in these. I don't want because I'm not passing. You don't use any. Okay, I made a mistake. So I'm I make the rules here. (laughs) So I'm swapping Dave Lewis off of my co-op team. He's gone. Ryan, you're now on my co-op team. So now I'm going to have Dave Lewis battling. I think that's super good. How has Tom Leitner not been up? Tom Leitner, 100%, is battling. And Are we we got to like make the, the matchups in battle too accurate. Okay, we'll do that in a second. And then I'm bringing... I'm going <laughs> to... My total wild card. He might be the best <laughs> player on this list, and we have no idea. I'm putting Bob Coleman on there. So I think I've used everyone on my team. Okay, so first... Paris. Oh, let's let's just do mob op to go in order here. So now basically everyone's available. So who's on your mob op team? I'm putting Jake down right now. I'm not even gonna let you okay. pretend he's not your first pick. There's five. Wait, that that means everyone but three. Okay, I mean it's gonna be all the clock players. So Larry unfortunately has to be out. Mm-hmm. I get that. Okay, Arthur. Okay. I mean the chance of Portland sets just went up by like. 80%. I know. I was going <laughs> to say that. I was thinking that in my head. Of like, do I want Arthur in my mob up team? Not because he's the thing is, I'm the coach. <laughs> so I'm be like, Arthur, only spike it at Jake. And then <laughs> the problem is solved. <laughs> I know. Arthur likes to really throw some riches at people. But I think if the world were on the line in Space Jam, he would, he would do what he needed to do. So you have Jake, you have Arthur. Okay. I mean, it's hard not to... I'm going to... I have to put you in the list just because... Of your latest crusade of catching more often, I think we'll. I'm glad you're reluctantly putting me on your mob op list. <laughs> I think the chance of someone getting kicked just went up by like 15%. In a good way or a bad way? <laughs> I've never kicked anybody in the gym. Oh, oh, you mean kicking a person? Yeah. I have not kicked a person since 2015. I remember it vividly in a Wait, long. Didn't you kick someone at Frisbeer? Oh, I did. I did. (laughs) I walloped Katie Gimma. I put her on the ground. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. But who was in whose lane? That's the real question. (laughs) Sorry I kicked you really hard, Katie. But I did get her laughing while she began to learn how to breathe again. That's true. That's true. Three or four bad kicked people in my career. It happens to all of us. (laughs) I guess, like, having short legs, my legs can't even reach into the other lane. I do think, to defend myself a little bit, I do think one thing that happens to me a lot is people grossly underestimate my range because my I'm, like, all legs and arms. Like, I have no chest. My wingspan is many inches longer than my height, and my legs are longer. So where I notice it the most is when people roll set it to me, they set it, like, halfway down my left arm, 
instead of at the beginning of my left arm. So I'm always having to like scoot over to the side so that I can take the disc with my left hand because everyone's always oversetting it to me. But so that's my one defense. But yes, yes, Katie came and wow, I kicked her in the face. I was kicked Ted Oberhaus in the face. We could do a whole <laughs> segment on people who I've kicked super hard. Katie wasn't in the face. It was actually, I, I basically punctured her lungs, but continue. Okay. Man, five is really hard to pick for a bop. And it also goes counter to your theory of like the smaller the number of people in the jam, the hotter it is. It's like you have to really be careful with the five because it's so complex and brittle. Well, I, you're already in a good place because Jake is your glue guy. Jake's going to fix all the errors and he's going to be the nexus. He's going to be in the center of this mob op, keeping things going. Arthur and I have got you covered on the diff and the catching. So I think now, honestly, you just need two more glue people. Glue, Yeah, like Flo and Christian, probably. Things I don't... Or... The thing is, I wish I would have jammed with Mateo more recently in Milan. I, I I'm going to tell a, you, a I would take Matteo Godoni here. I really would. I think he is a jammer at heart. He loves jamming. Okay, you've, you've convinced me. I'm going with Flo and Matteo. Flo is another interesting choice because Flo and Arthur have a little bit of a wild card factor where I'm not always sure I'm going to know what they're going to do, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. But I, I like where you're going. But I actually feel, I feel good about my situation now. <laughs> okay, so I'm definitely picking you. You're my Jake. So that's good. I think I get 90 to 99% of Jake with you. I'm not even that much of his height. I'm like... <laughs> you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. <laughs> Um, definitely picking Ted Oberhaus. No question. He's great. I'm not picking Tom Leitner. I'm on the fence about Dave Murphy. I'm going to come back to him. I'm going to pick Fabio Sana. I think he's a great choice. And I'm going to pick, I'm going off of memory here. I'm going to pick Dave Lewis. So here's where I'm starting to have trouble. So Paul Kenny is not a big jammer. I probably was at some point, but since I've known him, he, he hasn't been a big jammer. He's been more of a competitor and a routine builder. And I think some of that is because his body can't take jamming all weekend and competing. So I'm a little bit nervous about putting him on my model team. Also, he is so like technical and unique in advance that not everyone can put down what he's putting down, right? So if he gives you a full like crazy claw behind the back, right upside down to right side up turnover, not everyone's going to be ready to deal with that. So I'm a, I might come back to that though. Bob Coleman, who knows? Like, is he a real person at this point? I don't know. He, <laughs> he, he could be doing anything right now. So I have Ryan, Ted, Fabio, Dave. I need one more. I do. I like Dave Murphy. I mean, I'm going to go. The only reason I was hesitant about Dave is actually, I don't know why, why would I be hesitant? So I think about the 2012 beach weekend video and anytime I watch like Dave Murphy, Jake and Matt play, they were pretty unstoppable. So Dave Murphy is going to be putting in under people's legs in crazy ways. He's going to be catching septuple guidances. I feel pretty good about that. He's also going to be giving ripping throws. Now, I do have a counter player on my mob op, but Fabio does just fine with clock. And there might be an errant counter. We'll talk more about the importance of counter later. And I want Fabio on my team for that. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Yep. So here are our teams. And we'll, we'll, let's talk as if they were going up against each other. Who would win? Paris team, Jake and Arthur, Ted and Dave. Who wins? Jake and Arthur. 
I think Ted and Dave like win. they have synergy, the synergy and the technical. I think this. I think the synergy is good. I think their floor is a lot higher than Ted and Dave's floor, but I think my ceiling's higher. I think Ted and Dave are going to be hitting triples in quads for whatever that's worth. They're going to have a little bit more close together, like under each other's leg, crazy co-ops that are going to be really beautiful. I think they're. They're going to, I think they're going to pick a good song. Yeah, they're going to pick, they're going to play the spinning wheel. It's going to be crazy. But Jake and Arthur are really good. Did Jake and Arthur ever lose a tournament? I have no idea. I can't think of a time they did. I think there's another factor missing. Like, imagine like most world championships, there's bad conditions, like there's bad wind, or we go indoors. Now, how does your team change? I do agree that bad conditions, Jake and Arthur are going to be really dominant. I, I, you're right about that. I don't disagree with you there. And if it's raining, they're going to go indoors. Like I know Ted wouldn't mind or Teddy doesn't mind. I do think you have a better bad condition team than I do. I'll give you that one. Okay. Co-op teams. You have Flo, Christian, and Shega. I have Paul, Fabio, and Ryan. Who's better? This one's hard because it's like, I think these are not the most technical routines that are going to be built by either, either groups. And AI is like a random, like it doesn't, it's just random who wins. We'll talk more in detail about that. But your basic <laughs> premise is that as much as we want to value artistry as a category, in reality, the judges scores in AI are completely random and it's kind of upsetting. Right. Did I get that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. But but continue with this space jam analysis. <laughs> okay. I'm wondering, okay. It's I think it's about who can get who or like which team will have the players that will work together the best. And it might be dang it. It's just because Paul and me and Fabio, I feel like all three of us wouldn't, we're like, we're not routine dominators. Like we can all play support. I don't know if this is the right way to describe it. It's like, does... You don't have an obvious carry on your team is what you're saying. Yeah, it's kind of like when Randy is on a team, it's a Randy routine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think any of those players on your team... I mean, Paul Kenny does that, but it's only because he's playing with like second years <laughs> players. Yeah, but it's really up to you, right? I think Fabio is pretty chill. It's really, are you going to cede control to Randy for this? Because, like, and that's not to say that you're a worse routine builder than Paul, but it's more like compromise would be a worse result than letting one of you take the wheel. Yeah, I think that's what would happen. It was, would, we would come to that consensus and be like, all right, now this person's a leader and everyone fall in line. But here's why I think you would want Paul to build the routine, which is that, Paul has more unusual skill sets that are going to be harder for you to choreograph, whereas you're going to be much easier for Paul to choreograph. You see what I mean? Oh, like I can do Paul's Like I wouldn't know how to plan or build for Paul, but I would know how to plan or build. It's almost like, like here's another way to think about it. Like Paul has some more limitations than you do. So you should be building around him so that you can maximize his game because you're very flexible. Like you don't need 
things to be built around you in order to build a successful routine. Like Paul can't be the bench player on your world's team. Like really all of his routines are kind of built around him and not in a selfish way, but in a totally strategic valid way. It's like usually two young star players who are revolving around Paul and he's the facilitator and that's his most successful routine strategy. And I think you would want to do that and you would want him to be guiding that. Okay. I agree. I mean, I like that situation just because I'm playing support in that role. And that's yeah, like my best. <laughs> my take on the two teams was that Flo, Christian, and Shega had more natural synergy. But Paul, you, and Fabio have more built-in innate flexibility. So you get to a better place anyways. So like you guys have less natural synergy because like Fabio is mostly counter. Paul is a very unique game. Like you're the most flexible. But you're all so adept at making it work that it doesn't matter that you lack synergy, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think my team is crushing your team and it's only partially because it's my team. <laughs> I see. But there could be some Karlsruhe magic going on. There could be Karlsruhe magic and your team is going to crush the spinning catches. Crush. In fact, your team is going to probably have a flawless execution score. But we're not going to be that far behind on my team. Okay. Yep, wait, that, why would you say... Okay, no, we can no, no, keep no, no. going. Why, why would you say what? I would think your team has better execution in the long run. So, look, this is comparing two incredible teams because yep. Chega, he's not dropping it. I'm just telling you right now, he's not <laughs> dropping it. Flo and Christian, do they drop it much? I feel like not really. But I guess... I feel they, like the choreography covers their drops like that that's why you don't notice it they are very smart about how they respond to the drops like they keep them within the flow they keep it moving they don't do anything silly so that's true paul kenny a great catcher fabio generally an incredible catcher especially in his peak but i think he can get a little dropsy sometimes but he, you know he's got a 2011 dropless finals routine you're not dropping it either I gave you the secret to not dropping and you've used it to torch me for four years. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another episode. If that's not a cliffhanger, we have the secret to not dropping it on this podcast. We'll be revealed <laughs> episode 100. I'm marking it right now. Okay, but let's move on to battle. Three-person solo battle on your team is Mateo, Larry, and me. And on my team is Dave Lewis, Tom Leitner, and Bob Coleman. So if let's say you got to pick all the matchups or how should we do it? Should you pick everyone you would want to match up and I do who I would want to match up? Or should we do it like a true battle? But like you announce somebody. I think it's blind. It's yeah. blind. Okay. Yeah. So you can go Let first. Just pick, pick your champion. Oh, wait. No, do we both? We both have our list preset, right? And then we release it at the same time? No, I think it's more like you go first. So you pick somebody and now I send somebody out. Okay. I'm starting with Mateo. Okay. Here's, here's exactly what happened to me in City versus City. Do I want to send out Tom Leitner and hopefully just crush Mateo? Or do I send out Bob Coleman and have Bob Coleman flip a coin because I have no idea if he's going to win or not? I'm going greedy. I'm going very greedy. I'm saving Dave and Tom, and I'm sending out Bob Coleman. Now, do you have any idea who would win a battle between Mateo Gagoni <laughs> and Bob Coleman? I don't. I actually think Bob Coleman might have a sneaky edge from what I hear, but I have no idea. We'll call that a wash. We have no idea. who. Okay. Be. Okay. But let's say, 
let's say Bob Coleman wins, so I have to send somebody out now. Because I guess the the winner has to send someone first because it's a disadvantage yep. to send someone out first. So I'm going to send out Tom Leitner. Then I'm sending you out to win the point. So I don't know. Like I, I do think, here's how I assume a battle between me and Tom would go. I think Tom would take it to 11. And if he caught it, he would beat me. And I would just lay down a healthy 10. Like I would just put down a 10. It wouldn't be like the move you write your great grandchildren about, but like, I know I would catch it. I know I would put the pressure on and I, but then the only question would be, would Tom hit his 52nd consecutive brush combo restricted insanity? And if he does like he wins and I don't think anyone can beat him in that context, but I, I do think I'd have a chance based on execution alone. And it's not because Tom isn't a great executor. It's just that he's going to be trying the craziest stuff. I also think it would be a big difference which one of us played first. I think that would matter so much. Like if I played first, I would probably just have to go for some wild move with like a 40 second brush run at the end. And is it on the beach? I actually feel a lot better on the beach than I think people realize. Like I'm coming into my own on the beach. Like I will do a crazy brush run into a quad on the beach against Tom Leitner. I'm not saying I'm going to hit it, but I'm going to go for that every time. I feel good about my quads. Okay, that's a good one. All right, so let's say Tom Leitner wins that battle. So you send out Larry, and I send out Dave Lewis. I think Dave Lewis beats Larry. Hmm. Larry's going to do four consecutive Scarecrow brushes. That is true. Actually, let me tell you Larry's combo. He gets the UD clock throw. He power turnover rolls that out, does four consecutive Scarecrow brushes, does a bunch of crazy leg over kicks, few rolls, hits a guidus. Maybe it's a spinning guidus. It's not a barrel guidus. It's a spinning guidus. That's a great But move. it's a crash and burn guidus. This is prime. Prime, right. yeah. Prime crash and burn guidus. I actually, saying it out loud, I admit that's a really hard move to meet. Dave Lewis, he's going to do ten a 10 spinning combo before he even starts brushing it. He's going to do <laughs> double, 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 double pulls now he's going to be brushing back roll kicking and he's going to end with a triple barrel guidance it's going to be close it's going to be two very different flavors i'm not sure who will win that battle but i feel pretty good about dave lewis also larry might drop it dave lewis is not going to drop it hmm, you think so when you were describing both combos there it like made my what i would how would coach larry differently I feel well, like, Larry, Larry we're be. going for the two-minute brush run. That's your goal. Like, do not catch it until two minutes have passed and then hit your <laughs> crash and burn guidance and just, like, lie there for you know, the rest of the This is a great point. So, if, so lately, like, the way Tiny Room has worked is we have a time limit on your battle, and we did that because it gets a little wonky when people do 50-second combos. I think that would be the right strategy if there's no time limit. But if there's a time limit... I think it would change everything. Like I would feel a lot more confident against Tom Leitner if there was a time limit, for instance. I don't know if I'm right about that. Like come at me, like say I would get crushed no matter what, but I feel way better with 15 seconds. Better yet, give me 10 seconds. I want 10 seconds and I will go head to head with anybody. But if you make it long enough, it becomes harder and harder, I think, to beat someone like Tom Leitner. Yeah, I don't know what that I means, agree. but I just, <laughs> that's just the way I think about it. And like part of it is I just think I can stuff more diff into a shorter amount of time 
by being consecutive and, and moving quickly. And yeah, like I'm a first 10 second kind of person. I don't, I don't do a lot of minute long combos. I'm going to have to think about this. This is an interesting thought. Okay. So last one, mob op. I have strong feelings. Well, I don't know, actually. So you have Jake, Arthur, me, Flo, Mateo, and I have you, Ted, Fabio, Dave, and Dave. Who's winning? My team, of course. Like, Jake will dominate me in the other jam. There's, like, it's, like, rare that one person can have such an, I mean, no, no. I think everyone's experienced a jam where one person comes in and it changes the whole jam dynamic. Like, there's jam dominators. Mm -hmm. But Jake does that, but he doesn't change the flavor of the jam. It just, like, elevates it by that much, which is so unique. He's like umami. Yeah, he's like like salt or what's the other one? MSG. (laughs) Yeah, Like you don't notice it, but everything tastes twice as good. Yes, that's good. Why else is your mob up going to win? See, we have... So I think this only works because of Jake, but we have like two different camps of players. We have like the more flowy players with flow. And then we have the technical players like Arthur and then like you're somewhere in the middle with Mateo, like on that spectrum. But I think there's a lot of, there's more people that think about how a mob op should work on my team. Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to agree with you. And I say that knowing I'm on your team. So it's, it's very narcissistic, but I like your mob op team better. And part of it is because your mob op team is modern. And so everyone on there is very familiar with mob opping and kind of understands the different language that's mob opping. But also like I'm not going to drop it in that mob op the entire time. And I'm going to make sure that we are not going to be in a situation where people are dropping it in that mob op. And one thing I've gotten a lot of practice at the last three years when you play with only people who have been playing for one month, if you want to keep the gym fun, you have to catch it for morale. <laughs> and I think I've built muscles to keep catching and I built muscles to force catching on other people. It's like, I'm going to set this and you'd be crazy not to catch it. Like I'm going to put it in the wheelhouse. And if you do anything but catch it, you are a monster. But let me give the pitch for my team. First of all, I think you undersell yourself. I think you provide a ton of the value that Jake provides. He's going to be a little bit more of an anchor, especially with his size, like he can get to more and get around to more and just kind of reach places that you can't. But you're going to be giving all the same incredible sets to everybody and you're going to be positioning yourself in the right place. Ted, I think, is top five, top three all-time pairs or co-op freestyler. I haven't had a lot of mob ops with him, so I don't know. But if you're talking just mono 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 i mean he's one of the best i i think he would translate well to mabop fabio is me in that jam he's not going to drop it he's going to be catching it dave lewis i have no idea i think he's a great mob opper based on my virginia watching and dave murphy's a great mob opper and he's going to bring a lot of difficulty but i think my team has less synergy than your team like my team is more different people from different generations so like you're a different generation than Fabio, who's a different generation from Ted, who's a different generation from Dave and Dave. So like they're all like speaking slightly different dialects, 
So it might not work as seamlessly, but I think my team still has a similarly high ceiling if everything worked the way I want it to. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I was cool. wondering if, okay. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, has my mob op actually happened in real life? Like they were all there in 2010, right? In Seattle, Jake, Arthur, you, your mob op has not happened. I would remember it hasn't. You would have remembered. It would have yes. like made a singularity. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I think it's kind of how like, if you asked, if you named a move, I could tell you if I hit it yesterday. Like I just do it. Could I write down the 300 moves I did yesterday? No. But like, if you named them, I could tell you whether I did them or not. I think if you <laughs> asked me like, have you ever jammed with this group of people? I could either tell you yes, no, or I don't know. In this case, I know that I did not have a mob op with those people in that particular. I've had mob ops with Jake and Arthur. I've actually never had a mob op with Flo that I know of. I'm not sure I've ever jammed with Flo very much, which is too bad because he's incredible. I mean, I've definitely jammed with him, but not, not very much. And Mateo, I think I've had a mob op with him in New York, but my mob op has never happened. You, Ted, Fabio... Dave and Dave have never jammed together. No. <laughs> no. Way. I would remember that. Okay, cool. So let's put, we'll put our picks in the description and our teams in the description and people can fight over who picked a better team. And again, shout out to Bob Coleman. We know you're one of the great players. And I think after this, I'm going to look up video of you and maybe next week I'll report back on what I learned about Bob Coleman. All right, Ryan, I promised you that would be a 30 minute segment, but here we are. <laughs> an hour and a half in. I almost think we should make this one podcast and make our BSA debate another podcast. Thoughts? I think so. I'm going to have to eat in the middle if we have to go another 90 minutes. Okay, we'll see. So I'm trying to think if we need to do... You can cut this out if you want. We, I need it. I'm trying to think if we need to do anything because of the way we set this podcast up. But I think it's fine if we just start the next one and say like, this is going to be part of the last podcast, but we went too long. And so we're splitting it into two. Does that work? Yeah, I think we can be like, this is part one. So like we we can do parts. We can do yeah. part That's one. That's true. And part we, two. Let's just do it at the same time because it's also bi-weekly. So if it's two parts every two weeks, like it's fine. Okay, Ryan, that was our first draft. So we drafted number one players in the world. We built some teams, and we're gonna put our draft picks in those teams in the description. And people can send us an email at clockercounter at gmail.com or post on the Facebook to let us know what they thought of our teams, how they would have drafted it themselves, and who had the better draft, me or Ryan. Next time on part two of this podcast, we're going to have our first debate over BSAA, so we will see you there.